corporate medicine are sets of rules and regulations that guide you or provider to making the right decision. And so corporate medicine may say, if you're on these three things, then you automatically, or this, these three things happen to you, you're on this medicine, or you have this surgery, or you have something. And that's not what our artificial intelligent medicine system's doing. What we decided to do is that we still are committed in believing that a patient should have um, the conversations should occur with the providers and the providers based on their knowledge of that patient and their knowledge of the disease process will make the decision about what's the right protocol for that patient. This is the Disrupted Podcast with Scott Middleton. Each week, Scott shares how he uses the leadership principle of disruption to keep his companies growing and moving in the right direction. Let's get started. Welcome to the Disrupted Podcast with Scott Middleton. My name is Jamie Preston. I'm your host. And once again, Scott, how are you doing? Hey, great, Jamie. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, we're in coming winding down summer here it's still hot as hades here in uh, south carolina but it's uh it's been a good summer yeah uh well it's been it's been really an interesting summer and now we've got this covid thing coming back up yeah um but i think you know the bad thing is that we just forgot all the rules Mm -hmm. um and as as this next come you know i keep asking everybody you know we've got a vaccine we've got testing and all we talk about is masks you know, uh, and so I tell people all the time, it's not that I'm anti-mask, it's that that's the least, that's the thing that will least likely or most li- or least likely change all of this. So, right. like, I was just so frustrated yesterday. I actually had a call from the governor um, about um, something else, and, and he was asking about the healthcare side of us and what we're doing. And I said, Governor, you know, at the bottom line, what I don't understand is why is there not a tent out in front of every single school right now? With, with kids that are 12 and older and somebody sitting out offering to give the vaccines to anybody who drives up. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, that was the question I asked. I couldn't figure that out. So we're arguing over masks. We're going to the Supreme Court. We're fighting left and right. And, and most of it is just access. People don't have access to it. Yeah. But, you know, when I, when my kids are going to school every day, I'd get something back, some little permission slip, you know, give them permission to do this or permission to go on this field trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. Send a permission slip home with your kids. Do you give your permit kids permission to get a to get the vaccine Absolutely. and then have somebody set up DHEC? That's what DHEC should be doing right now is setting up. And it could be set up in this high school on Monday, this high school on Tuesday, this high school on Wednesday mm-hmm. and just get this thing out and done yep um and and i'm and i know there's some that are convinced that they they don't um they don't want the vaccine and and while i respect that the rest of us are going to pay for it yeah you know delta airlines came out today and said they're going to start charging 200 dollars more a month for anybody who has not gotten the vaccine because it's costing fifty thousand dollars every time one of their um, they're, they're the people they cover ends up in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're not going to get vaccinated, vaccinated, then you have to help pay for the cost of those. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, I just, maybe, I, we'll, get, maybe yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. We, we, we will <laughs> eventually. <laughs> so I want, I want to talk today about corporate medicine mm. and, and, uh, because that term has come up several times 
in our conversations with what we uh, looked at at our artificial intelligent medicine systems program mm -hmm. that we're putting together. And and so somebody was making a comment about corporate medicine today, and I just, I just kind of got a little um, overheated about it, and I said, stop. Uh, let me explain what corporate medicine is. Yeah. So corporate medicine, it, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but corporate medicine are sets of rules and regulations that guide you or provider to making the right decision. Mm -hmm. And so corporate medicine may say, if you're on these three things, then you automatically, or this, these three things happen to you, you're on this medicine, right. or you have this surgery, or you have something. And that's not what our artificial intelligent medicine system's doing. What we decided to do is that we still are committed in believing that a patient should have um, the conversations should occur with the providers and the providers based on their knowledge of that patient and their knowledge of the disease process will make the decision about what's the right protocol for that patient. Mm -hmm. So so, it, so we're not guiding it from a computer to say, this is what you're going to take, what medicine you're going to take. So what we're trying to do is build a system to make sure that you have the right provider to talk to you about a particular issue. Right. Because we know that no one is smart enough to know everything about every disease process. Primary care has in the past been traditionally a gatekeeper that would you go through and then they would send you to specialists as they thought you were needed. Mm -hmm. So what we looked at is, well, we need a gatekeeper before they go to a specialist. Because right. you, know, you may have somebody that, that definitely has diabetes and it's not being managed and having a difficult time with it. But why would we send that person to an endocrinologist if they're hospice appropriate? Right, exactly. You know, so, so, or they're going to be completely non-compliant. So what we're doing is we're putting together these specialty teams, and, and I'm calling them pods. That's just been my name for the year. But a specialty pod that will relate to the primary care practitioners mm -hmm. who have a specialty in that area, and they will guide the patient before they end up with a specialist. So uh, we have a diabetic specialty pod. We have a cardiac specialty pod. We actually have a post-discharge from hospital or nursing home specialty pod. Uh, we're actually going to build uh, respiratory. We're hiring respiratory therapists um, and dietitians. Mm -hmm. uh, that will all and, and social workers and uh, and licensed clinical therapists, um, so pulmonologists. You know, so if we as we pull together these specialists, then we have a patient who's who's being seen by one of our what I called our field providers. They go to the house. The field provider can can diagnose. They they're good about Mrs. Smith has COPD. She has this. She has this. But then what do I do with all of those things? Mm -hmm. And at that yeah. point, it's where they need to have that specialist. And then because you have so many different people involved in the process, you've got to have a pharmacist mm -hmm. who's looking at all the medications that they're taking. Right. So, so, uh, we're, so we're out there building these, uh, the, these, this artificial intelligence that really all it does is it tells us when the next visit should occur and what that visit should be and by which best provider should see that patient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that our biggest problem in our practice, which I, I'm, and 
And I'm just saying that we're probably better than everybody else out there. Our biggest problem is that we are not seeing our patients often enough mm -hmm. and they're not being seen by the people that, that really need to see them. Um, and that's not you saying yeah. that that's Medicare saying that. Well, actually it is. So, so that's the <laughs> other thing. Like we, 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 we got over the last few weeks, we've really reached out to our insurance carriers and said, Hey, you have more data than we do. Mm -hmm. So give us the data, which visit, which, who, what, which people on your list need to, do you think need to be seen? So they've actually sent us over the last few weeks two to 5,000, I don't even know what the number is, but it's just a huge number of, of patient visits that they want us to accomplish before the end of the year, very specific to that person's disease process. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're trying to take that information in our AIMS team along with, like we, have a, we had a nurse and she said, I just went through 100 charts related to, I think it was COPD, 100 charts. And she said, so I've gone through all this. And I said, so what was the conclusion? And she said, well, I gave all my information to a non-clinical team. And I said, no, I need clinically for you to tell me, based on this information, what rule will you create that tells me for my next visit? So we have um, the insurance companies call this gaps of care, mm. which um, is a, it's a pretty harsh term. Yeah. You know, that they're saying that we have, we have a gap in care that has not been addressed. Um, and that could be anything from, hey, you didn't run this lab, uh, to I need you to have this conversation with the patient. Right. Um, but, but, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to this. I think the number one question I'd like to see our providers ask after they've done their visits is to say, am, am I helping? What, what do I need to do to help you meet your health care goal? Mm-hmm. So what's your goal for your health? And if we could get every provider, no matter if you're the pharmacist or the general practitioner or the diabetic specialist, is at the end of the day, what what are the goals? Yeah. And they may say, I don't, I don't know. You tell me what's realistic. Well, then good. Mm -hmm. Tell them what you can realistically do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I It reminds me of a family um, last year that um, we, we did a video with. It was uh, the White family, and it was a person who'd been to the hospital, I think it was four times in three months because of medication issues. Um, he was diabetic. He, his sugar kept going up, but went four times in three months. And his, simply his goal was to quit going to the hospital. And they were yeah. able to meet that goal. He hasn't been to the hospital since, and it's been over a year now. Um, so, I mean, the goal might just be simply not to go back to the hospital. Well, yeah, well, that that's a, a, a hope of a, a international goal for everybody. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but then you have to say, okay, so what's the plan? What's the plan of care we put together to make mm -hmm. that happen? And 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 that to me is going to be lots of visits. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a lot of communication. It's not that you're just going to take a pill mm -hmm. um, because one half the pills we write don't they don't take them. Right. So, which is why the pharmacy consult is so important. You believe how many times our pharmacists get on the phone and say, now, Mrs. Smith, you're on this, this, and this. And I go, yeah, I don't really take that. Yeah. Well, why not? Well, it made me feel bad or I couldn't afford it or something. Well, then your provider is sitting there thinking that that person is taking that medication, mm -hmm. but the prescription never ended up in the pharmacy. Yeah. 
Right. It takes somebody asking that question. Mm -hmm. And so then the person is hospitalized. I mean, we've had it where insurance companies said, well, we're not going to pay for it. They're denying it. Yeah. And, and pharmacists pick up the phone and call, have you lost your mind? Yeah. This person's going to end up on the, in the hospital. You'd rather pay for that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it takes the, even the patient being honest about not taking their medications as well. So there's, I think there's some of those. Well, that's why I think you have to have multiple providers involved in mm-hmm. a process. Yeah. So why would you, you know, if, if you don't, what's going to happen is, is somebody's going to miss that question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I think that could solve a lot of problems. It's not as complicated as we think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we just have to start just making it simple. Yeah. You know, like I was telling our AIMS team this morning, make it simple, guys. Just start with a rule. And then, you know, here was, here's, here was the rule. All new patients are going to be seen by a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I said, but then somebody said, well, like, well, what if they don't take any medications? Well, that's obvious. Yeah. Well, then it's not really a rule. That's not a good rule, is it? All patients. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so maybe it's all patients with, you know, five medications or four. I said, I don't know that. I'm not a clinician. Y'all have mm-hmm. to tell me. Well, how so many patients, <laughs> how many patients really don't take any medications out of all? I mean, I'd say it's a pretty low percentage. Uh, yeah, I think it's one and that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, but, uh, but I still wouldn't mind talking to a pharmacist because yeah. maybe there are some things. Take a look at my labs and say, is there any deficiencies out there that I should really mm-hmm. uh, take care of? Yeah, so. like I, I talked to one of the providers and she said, yeah, she said, you're still in the normal range on your vitamin D. She said, but you're on the low end. She said, why don't you start get a vitamin D supplement? So I started taking a vitamin D supplement. So, um, yep. yeah. It's, but a year from now, you may not need that. Right. You know, Cause, exactly. Or you may not need it in the summertime if you're outdoors a lot. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and, and different people absorb, you know, the... Uh, the the um, vitamin D at different levels. Yeah, and then yeah. I, I learned something new that sunscreen can actually block that vitamin D as well. So that's yeah. There's all kinds of things that can can add to it. You know, great point. So I was at the dermatologist this week. I have you know my dad had um, some skin cancers off and on in his life, so I got committed because of family history. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's important to look at that. So I. So family history, and I go to the dermatologist every year, and she checks up every part of my body, and I show her any new mold or things that, you know, mold or something comes up. And and she was saying, hey, be sure to start wearing more sunscreen on the left side of your face and your arm hmm. because you're driving in a car, and, and that may be causing more of these dark spots or it could cause cancer. Yeah. And she said to make sure using zinc in your sunscreen and then i'm thinking okay that zinc that's a good question does zinc will zinc block the vitamin d Mm -hmm. so maybe i want to keep it on my face you know but i may not want it everywhere else so i've got to do a little research on it but a pharmacist could tell me that right exactly (laughs) absolutely that's in even for somebody who doesn't take medication even that's still a valued visit yeah exactly 
Um, so, so I think the point is, is that we, uh, what I'd like, uh, hopefully some of our providers are listening to this because we do have some providers out there who get very protective over their patients mm-hmm. and don't want anybody else involved. And I can understand part of that, but I think that the real issue is that we've got to make sure that, that whatever specialty they need that they're not getting from that primary care provider has got to be addressed. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we may have some primary care providers who know diabetes inside and out, but know nothing about cardiology yeah. and are, are little about it. And I think I want patients to understand that too, is that because there's just not one provider, while they know you, they may not know everything. Mm-hmm. And so if we use this artificial intelligence to look at who's the best person to see you right now, right? That that will make a huge difference um, in in uh, in how we are able to best take care of you. In fact, I had a, a president of an insurance company a few years ago spoke at a conference, and I was so disturbed by his speech that I, I went moved to the back of the room. And when he left out, I went up and I said, "I want to talk to you about this." He did not believe anyone should have a primary care provider. Hmm. He said, I, I think we will be moving away. He said, when you call, he said, at some point, you're going to call to a um, to, to somebody, and then you're going to tell them the problem, and they're going to determine who will be best to see you, you know, so that based on what your, your, your complaint is, right? you know, you're going to go to this person. And, and so I said, yeah, but but who's going to be helping that person decide who that person is? Yeah. And and if you want to get proactive, then how are you screening ahead of time if you don't have a primary care provider? Mm-hmm. And he was 68, 9 years old, probably 60, uh, probably 66 years old at the time. And this guy in, in horrible health, he needed a primary care provider <laughs> to say, you need, you need to take better care of yourself. You know, you look terrible, you know. But um, so so that's, again, is why you need a primary care provider. You yeah. have to have somebody that's seeing you often and regular, and that could be different for different people. Like I see my provider once a year for my annual physical at my age now at 62 to 65. I probably not need to start seeing him every six months mm-hmm. because things change quicker with you over time. And and so I was reminded of that the other day when I was talking to Doc Griffin, who is our um, um, our our club fitter. Yeah, at the not a club. not a doctor, by the way. <laughs> no, not a doctor. He fits, he fits golf clubs to people. He helps you. And so I said, well, how often should people change golf clubs? And he said, well, pretty much. He said from uh, about every ten years for yeah. people up to the age of 60 mm-hmm. and then at 60 you need to get refitted about every five years and by 80 you probably need to be looking every three years hmm. and so i said well what why and he said well because you've got things going on and and you're you're aging and so he said your flex the flex of the shaft the mm-hmm. the the, the strength of your ability to hit the ball. We may have to adjust the head to a different direction or something. Mm-hmm. And it changes more the older you get. Wow. And then that, I thought, what a great philosophy for us. Yeah. So how, Absolutely. how often, so, so when I hit 60, if I should have my golf clubs reexamined when I hit 60 because of my health, 
then I probably should be having somebody look at that more often. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and more visits. Yeah. You should, you know, I mean, how, how often do you go to the doctor now just for typical for checkups? Well, I've, I've just been going once a year, but once now year. that I'm, I'm going through this process, I'm going to have that conversation and say, I, I definitely want labs more than once a year. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, my, my dad, you know, at 87 had, you know, this tumor popped up on him and it seemed like it was overnight. Yeah. So, uh, would we have caught it earlier? I don't know. I mean, he ended up having a complaint, which is what took him to the doctor. So I don't know if you, you know, if Dr. Hook would have been able to feel him if he was doing him a quarterly visit to say, oh, I wonder what this is, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, but, uh, but, you know, the other thing, when he had a surgery, they, uh, the surgeon came back and said, you know, your prostate is enlarged. He said it doesn't, it's not extreme because, you know, at your, at your age and that kind of thing, but he was able to put him on a, a medication that will help uh, that enlarged prostate. So, yeah. you know, I, those, those are proactive kinds mm -hmm. of things. And we won't know that if we don't go to a doctor. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The more proactive Honestly. we are, yeah. the more money we save, um, the, the better our society is and, and everything all the way around. Like, who wants to go to the hospital and have a surgery that could have been prevented? No. And, and people don't believe it can be prevented. Right. That's the crazy thing. They, they just don't think. Yeah, yeah, well, we've been so conditioned just to go to the ER, go to the ER, go to the ER. And, and that's, that's right scary. now, this last couple of years, that's the last place you want to be <laughs> right now. Is it well, I, yeah. I, I was in three hospitals this week, and um, – they're not closed down to, to people. We were, I was going in to meet with various people and two of them was emergency rooms. I went in and met with the emergency room docs and some of the nurses and social workers uh, that were there to talk about what we as house calls could do mm -hmm. because, you know, their, their struggle is they're having to send people home because the hospitals are full. Yeah. And what is it that we need to provide to those uh, patients? And, and it's lots of visits because if they were in the hospital, they'd be seen every day. Yeah. So we, we really have to beef it up. And so what I try to help my providers and if they're listening today is that you should never have any idle time so uh, we've got to figure we have patients that need to be seen and yeah. need to be seen often and if for any reason you're looking down and your schedule isn't where it needs to be i mean we have 300 providers you we need somebody to raise the hand and mm -hmm. and so we've got to put some systems in place to make sure that they don't have to raise their hands because they've got plenty of things to do um, but there is, is we also want to make sure that we get the right person to the right patient at mm. the right time. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where, where I, again, I think we do it better than any other provider that I've seen out there, but there's just so much room for improvement yeah. uh, to make the system work better for people. Yeah. What do you think drives you to never be satisfied, Scott? Cause I think that's a, a great trait, um, to, to keep going? What drives you to be never satisfied? You know, I, I have to go back to the, the, the root of the, of, for me, I, I always go back to productivity mm -hmm. and, and productivity is in an end result. So as an example, you know, I will always start with the end result in everything that I do. Yeah. This is how I envision what it would look like. And it can be, a building I'm developing, it could be a, a physician's practice that I'm building. What at the end of the day do I want? And so like when, when I did hospice, 
I, part of what drove me to the hospice program was that I wanted to make sure that that every individual died without any remorse mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. I, I wanted them to know that everything went well, and and that for their their family as well. That yeah. when as that death occurred, everybody is a part of it could say that was a great death. Hmm. That was my driving force. So then I had to back into it. Well, what what all do I need to do in order to get that person there? That's why I preach every day. I know people get tired of hearing it about advanced care planning. And and our providers think, oh, well, they, they've already done that. Scott, they've signed their living will. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's no, it, it, you're planning, you're, you're planning what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. or what you want. And it's not just a one-time decision. Yeah. You know, it changes daily. And I, I keep preaching that. So you have to have those conversations and a lot of different people, because what I, what I may, con- what I may come to the conclusion with my social worker, it's far, far different than I would with my doctor and even my nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, that's, drives me every day is it's looking one is, is am I being as productive as possible and that can be in work and play mm-hmm. so if, if if it's a matter of today's a play day and we all need to have that then I'm going to make sure that that is the most productive play day I could have sure you know absolutely um, and it could be reading a book it could be catching up on a tv series that I like or it could the, I'm, I'm going to go out there and run 12 miles today. Well, yeah. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's great. I think those and, are and great principles. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think starting with the end in mind and, and understanding what you want to accomplish and, and never getting satisfied to keep pushing to, to accomplish that is, is so key. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, everybody work hard this week being as productive as possible um and work smart you yeah. don't always have to work as hard but just work smart mm-hmm. take care of our patients absolutely um, make sure they have the visits they need and um i think we'll be a better society and better people absolutely so. scott thanks so much for your time thanks jamie you, awesome. you have a good weekend you too thanks Bye. bye-bye thanks for listening to the disruptive podcast with scott middleton Follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at The Disrupted Podcast. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.